Thank you. You may be seated. And thank you for praying today for Dr. Treber and his good people out there in California. They are under the gun, literally. They are suffering for Jesus. And today he was fined for having church. And I want you to pray for him. Pray for God's grace for him and for his church. And pray for God's mercy for the officials out there that are oppressing God's people. Now also I want to thank you for praying for those that have special physical needs. We've been praying for Dr. Bobby Brindle, three foot nine and one half inches tall. He had a stroke. He has difficulty in speaking or swallowing. His wife Kathy is suffering from dementia. That's quite a situation. I found out this afternoon and I sent it down the prayer chain also that our missionary to the Jews, Brother Ken Overby, is going to have a medical procedure tomorrow. So mark that down. Pray in the morning for Ken Overby. Uh, we had a good discussion by text, and perhaps he's watching me even now. I'm very thankful for God's faithful people. We have seen the tithes and the offerings come in. That doesn't just line my pockets. That doesn't make my life comfortable. No, that's not it at all. It's about the work of the Lord and the missionary obligations that we have around the world. And praise the Lord, during this entire time of COVID-19, we have not missed our missionary obligations. We've sent our missionaries what they have uh, coming to them in the way of support. And we've been carrying on the work of the Lord right here from the home base. And I believe that we have seen literally carried out that scripture that says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We know who's on the winning side. We have the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm glad this morning we learned again what it means to be in the perfect will of God and how to know and how to do God's will. Now, I've read a scripture to you that comes from Matthew's gospel, the 25th chapter. Now, we have parables about the kingdom, about future prophecy contained in the various Gospels. And we have two very similar parables we're going to talk about, one in Matthew's Gospel. And it's also similarly given to us, but not the same parable, over in Luke's Gospel. The 25th chapter of the, of the Gospel according to Matthew has to do with being prepared, with being ready. And we could say in every aspect of the Christian life, we need to be ready. Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. And Peter said, be ready always to give an answer. And readiness is so very important. While they had ready hearts and ready minds, they were receptive over in Berea. We need to be prepared. God is preparing us, but we need to be prepared for the challenges that He's fitting us for. And as we face end times, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have that conviction in our heart that we need to be, to be diligent, not delinquent. Can I get you to amen me on that? We need to be diligent, not delinquent. We have, of course, the virgins who some had oil and some did not. And, uh, of course, then at midnight, some were prepared and some were not. Some have tried to hang a lot of doctrine and theological interpretation on the parable which simply teaches preparedness. Be ready. Our master has left us, and he's left us with a commission. And uh, can you tell me? It's go ye. It's not stay ye. It's not sit ye. It's go ye. Come on now. Go ye. Go ye. 
What is it that he wants you to go with? He wants you to go with the gospel. He wants you to go with the good news. Forget all that bad news stuff and go with the good news. Amen. Now it says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25, for the kingdom of heaven is as, now the word as introduces a simile, figure of speech, a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. I want to ask you, can you tell me who this represents? Who is the one who has traveled to a far country? Look at me, to a far country. Who has gone to a far country who has servants, who has servants, all right, and who has, who has goods, who, who equips them with what they need? Why, this speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a parable about Jesus going away and entrusting a stewardship to those of us who have been left behind. Do we really comprehend the depth and meaning and the personal, the personal application of the word stewardship? What is it that's required in stewards? That a man be found, let me hear it, faithful, faithful. That's it. When my dad used to leave me with a chore, when I was just a little guy. Now, i got to admit, I'm the baby of the family. I'm the youngest of three children. I was always, and still am, spoiled rotten. Now, don't say it to my face, but behind my back you can say, he's spoiled rotten. And uh, go ahead. He's spoiled rotten. That's right, I am spoiled rotten. But you know what? My dad used to give me a chore. He'd say, Brad, I want you to clean out the garage. Or I want you to pick up these sticks. Or I want you to do those things. And do you know what motivated me? It was not the fear of getting beaten. It was my desire to please my father. And there ought to be as a primary motivator in the life of every believer who is here on earth right now while our Savior is away in that far country called heaven. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Our prime motivation should be to please the Lord. Come on now, to please Him, to seek the smile of God. There it is, there it is. And so, he uh, says in verse 15, and unto one he gave five talents. Now we think of the English word talent, we think of ability. You know, if you can go, la, 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 that's a talent. If you can do it on an instrument, da, 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 that's a talent. If you can paint, if you can speak, if you can work with your hands, if you can do various things, those are considered talents. But here, talent refers to an amount of exchange, an amount of money, amount of currency. Actually, a talent is 6,000 denarii. A denarii was a working man's daily wages. We're talking about 6,000 days of a working man's labor. Think about that. Now, don't think about it. Just think about 6,000 days labor, all right? That's when you consider five, six working days a week. That's 20 years labor. Are you listening to me? One talent. So... 20 years labor, the equivalent of 20 years labor, that is a, almost a lifetime, at least it's a half of a lifetime of labor, all right? So if you, if you have 
If you have one of those, that's about half a lifetime. If you have two of those, now come on now, one half plus one half equals a whole. That is about the equivalent of a working man's life of labor. Think about that. But if you have five of those, that's a rich man. That's a rich man. So we have those denarii. We have 6,000 of them for each talent. All right, so this one who has left has given an investment of a lifetime, the equivalent of a half a lifetime, a whole lifetime, or several lifetimes to these individuals. Please notice, here it is. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. This is not a gift. This is a stewardship. I know there are the gifts of the Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He has imparted to us various spiritual gifts. But that's not what this is about. This is about the principle of stewardship, of taking care of what is God's, what belongs to Him. Over in the Gospel, according to Luke, we have the parable of the pounds. It's a little different. It was delivered at a different time, different location. So it's not the same parable, but they, uh, both parables have some things in common. And here's what it is. In that parable in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is represented as saying, Occupy till I come. The word occupy, preacher, only one time in the New Testament. It means you take care of business. You take care of business. Have the right attitude, the right hands on. You take care of business. Do you know that the Lord has left us here for a very important reason, to glorify Him? And that means taking care of His business. He has entrusted His business to us. For a business person, 6,000 denarii times whatever number, whether it's one or two or five, that's a lot of lifetimes of labor. This businessman is entrusting to people something of great value, something that has taken a lifetime to accumulate. And so he gives that to him, goes away, and he took his journey. And then it says in verse 16, He that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. He doubled, he doubled 6,000 denarii times five. So now we're talking about what? We're talking about a lot of denarii. We're talking about a lot of lifetimes worth of labor. Think about that. He traded for five more. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. So he invested and he got two more. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now I know it's literally about money, but it, 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 it encompasses the concept of something that belongs to another and we've been entrusted with it to do something to, to enlarge it, to increase it. What does God want us to do with this business of serving Him. He wants us to increase it. He wants us to be positive. He wants us to do well with it. He doesn't want us to dig a hole in the ground and drop it in there. I wonder how many individual Christians, how many Christian families, how many churches, I wonder how many Christian efforts have just been digging a hole and dropping it in the hole. Are you listening to me? God doesn't want that. God wants us to invest and to increase it 
to enlarge it for His glory. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about the stewardship of His ministry, the stewardship of His glory, the stewardship serving the Lord. Everything is about serving the Lord. So there it is. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. Now, it doesn't say 2,000 years, but that's what we're talking about. The Lord has been gone 2,000 years, and He reckoneth with them. There is going to be a time of reckoning. We know that on the uh, calendar, we know that on the timeline, which is prophetic, we know the next great event. We don't know when it is, but when it occurs, it will be the translation, the rapture of the believers taken out of this world, and we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ, and there we will have the Bema judgment. We will stand before the Lord and hear about that which has been done in our body since we've been saved. How have we served the Lord? How have we used what He has given us, that stewardship for His glory? And has that been enlarged? Has that been increased? Has that been enhanced? Have we added to or detracted from the work of the Lord by our being a part of it? Have we truly occupied until He takes us out of here? Have we truly done all that we can do to be part of this business of His? And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, <clears throat> all right, first two words are what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. From the time of Jesus Christ until the present, this age of grace, this church age, has been a time for us to occupy, to serve the Lord. And at some point, we are going to be ruling and reigning with Him in the golden age of the Bible, known as the millennial reign of Christ, the literal thousand years. Someone said on Christian radio this week that the millennium is actually the most spoken of age in the Bible. I did not know that. But tucked in the nooks and the crannies of the Old Testament, and of course we have other references as well, we have all kinds of facts, we have all kinds of Scripture having to do with the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when He sits upon the throne of David. Wow, that's amazing. So what we're doing right now is we're trying to please the Lord. I wanted the smile of my father. I wanted my dad to be pleased with the work that he gave me to do when he got back and he saw a little Brad, what I had done. I'd swept out the garage and maybe I had done the best I could. It wasn't perfect, but he looks at our best. He looks at what we can do. And, uh, and he would have smiled and said, good job, Brad. Good job. Good job. And that's our Lord and Savior. Good job. Well done. Well done. That's what he says in verse 21. says it again. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Now look at verse 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So one that has five increases by five. One that has two increases by two. They've invested. They've enhanced. They've increased the work, the stewardship that has been given to them. And the Lord declares it to be good. He speaks to their character and He speaks to their account. And today the Lord is inspecting us up and down, 
regarding our character, and he's inspecting us up and down regarding our work. So what is it? Are we a good and faithful servant? You know your heart. I know my heart. We need to be faithful. We need to be serving the Lord with gladness from the heart. And also, in addition to the character, to the accounting, to the fact that there has been an increase, there's been an enhancement. Well, will people, when we are gone, say, as a result of our having been here, uh, the truths of the Word of God, that which has to do with the Lord Himself, has come into sharper focus. They can see and understand and appreciate the Lord and His attributes and how He works much better because we were here, because we graced this planet. I'm thinking tonight we've got something to get right with God. I'm thinking tonight we've got some adjustments to make. If we want that to be the testimony when we're gone, not what a good guy, what a good gal they were, but instead I see Jesus. I see the work of God. I am reminded of the attributes of God. I see the nature, the very nature of God in how they comport themselves. And so we read on now. Verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent, oh my, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man. That's not something to be telling the Lord. Reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Here it is. I hid it. I, I dug a hole and I put it there. Motivated by what? Fear. By human weakness. We need to fear the Lord. We shouldn't be fearing other things. And so out of fear, he was paralyzed. He did not invest. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. At least you could have put it in the bank and made a couple of percent. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto everyone that hath shall be given and and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, wow, that is, that is so hard. And we might be tempted in the weakness of our flesh to say, that's unfair. That's not kind. That's not my concept of my loving, sweet, comfortable, never condemning Savior. Well, if you have in mind a Savior who never condemns, who does not, does not provide consequences for bad behaviors, then you do not have the God of the Bible in mind. You have a God of your own creation, and that is idolatry. So I just don't know if I can live with that. You better learn to. You better get it, because there are two things here that we are focusing on yet again. I've spoken on this a number of times over the years of my ministry. And that is, someday we're going to be dealing with two R's. One is rewards, and the other is regret. We want rewards, not regret. We want to live a life of rewards and not one of regret. Let's pray and ask God to help us through the rest of this message. Father, we thank you now. We've read the scripture. We've laid the groundwork. I pray that you will help us as we speak tonight about rewards. And thank you that you have told us in your word that we would receive rewards if we're faithful. And so I thank you for the faithful servants that we've seen with the five talents making ten and uh, then with the two talents uh, 
Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness. Help us to be like them. In Jesus' name, amen. So our goal is to win the smile of God. Our goal is to be rewarded someday for His glory, to cast crowns at His feet. And what we should dread is the opposite. We, we call it regret. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Oh, how sad it is. Regret is an awful, awful thing. And yet someday people are going to be left with regret. That's what they're going to have. Someone has anonymously written a little something I, I collected years ago. And I, I kept it in my Bible and I'm just trotting it out again. This is written by somebody by the name of Anonymous. And uh, he or she writes seven things you never regret. Seven things you never regret. You might want to write some of these down. One is feeling reverence for your maker. Feeling reverence for your maker. What did it say in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1? The what hath said in his heart there is no God. The fool. That's right. So unless you're a fool, you will never, ever regret reverence for your maker. There is a holy hush and an awe that uh, surpasses everything else in life. When you, when you begin to realize exactly who God is and all of His greatness. And, and, uh, and I tell you, the, 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 great, the great loss today by those who are uh, agnostic or atheistic, those who are uh, following after communism or evolution, is the absence of that great God, that loving, all-powerful God. He is capable. He is compassionate. And... You know, somebody made this watch. Somebody made those light fixtures. Somebody made this sound system. It didn't just happen. And how insulting is it to look at yourself and say, nobody made me. I just happened. I was an accident. It takes away all the dignity of man. It takes away the creation in God's own image. God made us in His image. The reason why there ought to be social justice, why there ought to be equity and fairness in this world is because every human being is made in God's image. Did you know that? Everybody is. Even somebody who, who um, perhaps fritters all of that away and, and he or she becomes a drunk or a drug addict and they're on the streets and, and they're just a total mess. As far as man's eyes are concerned, God doesn't see them that way. They are still loved by God. They are still made in man's image. The image has been marred by sin, but they're still made in the image of God. Every person, for that reason, ought to feel a reverence for their maker and never regret that. Never go back on that. Number two of the seven that you should never regret, showing kindness to an aged person. Uh, you ought to find, young people, you ought to find somebody in your lifetime that is older that is up in years, and make a friend of them. And don't come to me after the service and say, you're the one. You're the old person. Brother Gabe will be taking applications. I'm kidding. But you know, I have learned a great deal. God has taught me through aged people. Some lessons that I never would have learned. Why, you just check it out. And in the Old Testament... Rehoboam went wrong because he listened to the young guys instead of the old guys. We find that all through the Old Testament. You, you remember when, when they built, when they rebuilt the temple after the captivity. You remember that the, that the 
a young men cheered and, and applauded and the old men wept because they'd seen some things. And the advantage that an older person has that's lived a, a while, as long as they're in the way of righteousness, the, the hoary head, that is the white-haired person, that, that person should be respected. And you should find somebody that falls in that category and be friends with them. And just listen to the quaint things that they say and, and, uh, and learn from them. Learn ethics. Learn, learn uh, uh, the, the way of dealing with people from them. Showing kindness to an aged person. This counts because that aged person counts for something with God. God has made that person and God has sustained that person and probably left them on earth so they can have an impact on your life and mine. Number three thing that you should never regret is destroying uh, a letter written in anger. You should never regret destroying that letter that you wrote in anger. Now, a fire, you know how words are. Words are like fire. They're, they're set on fire, like the tongue is set on fire of hell. And they can destroy uh, so many things that are out of control. I'm telling you right now, when you, when you got to get something out of your system, write the letter, but make sure you shred it. Make sure you shred it. If you have to do it as an emotional exercise, make sure you shred it. Never send it. Never send it. And you'll never regret that, destroying a letter that was written by you in anger. Number four, you'll never regret offering the sincerest of apologies that saves a friendship. You cannot buy friends. If you try to buy friends, you'll find out how phony they are. A real true friend is a friend in spite of not because of, till the end. And always, always be the first to, to leave your gift at the altar and run and make it right with your friend and make that apology if necessary. You'll never regret that. Number five thing you'll never regret, stopping uh, an unjust scandal that could wreck somebody's reputation or their life. Stop that scandal. Stop it in its tracks. Why, I read in Proverbs chapter 6, you know, there are six things that the Lord hates and one is an abomination. And you know that's the one who sows discord among the brethren. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Now, there are plenty of legitimate, real scandals in this world. But we don't have to make that our occupation. And we don't have to run around and make the ground even everywhere because that's not our job. Our job is to serve the Lord, not make everything come out what we think is the way it ought to come out because you're going to find that uh, you, you do things that you think ought to be done. You arrange things that ought to be arranged. And uh, what was that that Jane Austen wrote? Emma, she's all the time going around trying to fix things, trying to change things, trying to make things. And she was wrong. She was wrong on every count. And there are people like that. There are Christians like that that are all the time trying to fix things and change things. But, you know, you'll never, you'll never regret stopping in its tracks that unjust, that unjustified scandal. Number six thing you'll never regret is uh, investing time that's necessary to show loved ones due consideration. Show the ones tribute and respect to whom tribute and respect is due. And then number seven, this is what I'm working down to. I found this old slip of paper and it said, you'll never regret accepting the judgment of God on any question. The judgment of God. We've seen the judgment of God with respect 
to the investment of stewards in this age that represents the rewarded positions that people will have in the millennial kingdom. We've already seen that. Let's go back to Psalm 119 for a moment. And you know that the 119th Psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible. And you know the subject is the Bible, the Word of God. And so we have ten, at least 10 synonyms for the Bible. And one is law, and uh, one is testimonies, and, and uh, one is ways, and one is precepts, and one is statutes, and one is commandments. And then we come to verse number 7. And sprinkled throughout the psalm, we have this synonym for the Bible. It's how the Bible is applied in this case. Verse number 7 says, I will praise thee with, a, with uprightness of heart, and I shall have learned thy righteous, what? Judgments. Judgments, another synonym, synonym of the Bible. We understand that it's used as a replacement word for the Bible, but here it's how it's applied. That is, when God says something, when He pronounces it, it is so. And when we attempt, because of our humanity, to go against what God has said in His Word, there are consequences for that. Whenever that happens, we should not say, it wasn't fair that the guy that had one talent, 6,000 denarii, 6,000 days labor of his money, and he put it in a hole instead of doing what he should with it, instead of working on that investment and doing what he was supposed to do. He was disobedient. When we say, it's not fair that he should be cast out like that. By the way, working for the Lord is not the means by which we are saved or stay saved. That's by grace through faith. In this particular parable, it merely shows that many times, oftentimes, the slothful servant has never had a born-again experience, and consequently, he's going to end up in hellfire. But that's another subject for another time. Here we have the thought of the judgments of God. Pronounced in the Word of God. God's Word is true. It's true forever. And what it says will endure. I mean, heaven and earth may pass away, but His words will never pass away. The judgments of God will continue on. Now, it's not what the judgments of God do that's so important, but what the judgments of God reveal about God Himself that's so important. You see what it does for us, what it does for the individual, all right? I, I, I don't have David's signature on Psalm 119, but suppose he wrote it, and suppose he is speaking of this, of this life as a journey, and along the way, he's got all of these applications of the Word of God, moment by moment and day by day. And what does it do? What does it do in verse 7? I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. That tells us, who God is. That tells us how God does what He does. And coming to know Him, remember what Paul said, that I may know Him. What was his highest goal? To get to know the Lord better and better and better, experientially, moment by moment. We meet Him when we first get saved, but we continue to get to know Him better and better. How do we do that? By who He is and how He deals with us through the Word of God. It's the application of the Word of God. We learn these 
righteous judgments about God. And it makes clear to us what it is that God is expecting. He's not expecting us to dig a hole and drop 6,000 denarii in the hole. He's expecting us to invest, to be a steward, to work with what He's given us, to serve Him, serve the Lord completely, give Him all diligence, and not be negligent. Moving on, if you jump down to verse 13 of Psalm 119. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. We need to make it a point every single day to declare those judgments, to talk about how wonderfully God works in our life, in our experience, in our situation. When we come to the point, when we accept the judgment of God on any question, on any situation, we have now begun to grow in our experience. And we're the kind of person who knows that five talents make five more, that two talents makes two more, that one talent should not be dropped in a hole. We know what God expects of us. He expects us to serve Him completely. Jump to verse 20. Verse 20 says, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. There ought to be a desire for the, the, the truth and the righteousness and the holiness and the honor of His judgments in our life and our experience. We should set our heart upon them. Our desire should be for them. Now jump down to verse 30. Verse 30, it says, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgment have I laid before me. There it is. There it is. Decide which way to go, which path to take. How do you do that? With what experience? Based upon what? Based upon what? Do you get down on your knees and close your eyes and say, Now, Lord, I want you to direct me through the word which way I should go. Now, look at me. I'm not making fun, but look at me. There are some people who are so primitive, who are so infantile in their understanding of the word of God, they think that it's going to be some kind of a Christian Ouija board. Go this way. Doesn't work that way. The Word of God has to go in us and become a part of our life and we begin to learn who God is, how His attributes impact us day by day. And you'll find over time, over years and decades, that the transformation in our life will bring us to the point where we'll say, we've said this, we're not the same people we were X amount of years ago. Oh, I've got the same social security number, I've got the same name, Got the same, you know, basic uh, physical DNA. I'm in better shape than I've ever been in my life. Forgive me, Lord. All right. But I'm not the person I used to be. Not even close. I'm a million miles from what I ought to be. But thank God, I'm not what I was. And all I can do is praise the Lord for His righteous, holy, perfect, pure judgments. That's what's changing us, His judgments. And it's awfully hard when the consequences of violating the Word of God result in something happening, a lesson being learned in the life of anyone we love and care for, but it's for the better, it's for the good, it's for God's glory that people learn the truth. And we would not want God to change His Word, would we? 
We would not want God to alter what He says because that would be like Him altering His own attributes just to make it easier on somebody we care about or love. We don't have a capricious kind of fang-bearing desire for pain for people that we love and care for. We pray for God's mercy. We ask for, for the Lord to, to, to please be merciful and kind. And, and we want it not to be painful. But God has a, a, an unchanging, unalterable way of dealing with all of us based upon Himself, not based upon us. It's not case by case. He's an individual and personal God. But He doesn't change His Word for each person. The Word of God cannot be altered. The judgments of God are absolute. So it decides, the Word of God shows us which way to go. Verse number 39, Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. We, we designate them as good. Verse 43, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. They're the source of hope because God Himself is our hope. We have hoped in His judgments. We, we know the future is secure because God is who He says He is. In verse 52, I could keep going. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. It is a source of comfort. You say, even knowing that there are consequences for violating the Word of God, the judgments of God fall heavily, and yet there's comfort. Yes, because God doesn't change. I can count on God. He's the same God. And Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 62, it says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Think about that. Thank you, Lord, for never, ever changing. Thank you for always being the same. Thank you for being consistent, Lord. And even though I'm not what I ought to thank, God, you've changed me. No, it says, let's rise and give him thanks. There it is. Rise and give him thanks. I am glad today for a God who does not change. A God who is the same. Whose judgments we've learned to accept. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And how many of you tonight would say, preacher, the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart right now. Slip your hand up high. God's speaking to my heart. Yes, amen. And praise the Lord for a God who doesn't change. Amen and amen. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, it could be that you've come tonight. You not know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, but you would be willing right now to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, if you'll just call in faith, believing, He will answer. He'll hear you. So right now, pray something like this from your heart to God and mean it. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? You said you'd come and share all my sorrows. You said you'd be there 
so close to sending you away. But just like you promised, you came there to stay. I just had to pray. And Jesus said, Come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty, you won't be denied. I felt every When in darkness you cried And I strove to remind you That for those tears I died Your goodness so great I can't understand and dear Lord, I know that all this was planned. I know you're here now and always will be. Your love loosed my chains and in you I'm free. But Jesus, why me? Jesus said, come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty, you won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I strove to remind you that for those tears I died. Jesus, I give you my heart and my soul. Never be whole, Savior. You open all the right doors, and I thank you and praise you from earth's humble shores. Take me. said, come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty, you won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I strove to remind you 
that for those tears I died, and I strove to remind you that for those tears I died.